DJ and PK brought to you apart by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now. You can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. All right, the Utes with a scrimmage this weekend, and we can't see it, closed doors and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Kyle afterwards saying all the quarterbacks took a step forward, which is kind of the thing you need to say. Uh, but he again pumped up Charlie Brewer and PK. Just words, or this is going to be different. He's got a guy who started a lot of games and aired it out in the Big 12, and he's going to cut him loose. It's going to be different. They're going to push the ball down the field. Maybe to their tight ends, not their wide receivers, but whatever, as long as you're pushing the ball down the field and making plays. Or, this is all talk in the spring. Kyle's scarred by the two five and seven seasons and, you know, losing a UCLA game where they threw six interceptions and lost 34-27. Could have, would have, should have won that game. Didn't have to have his job on the line. And that was a lot of tension and a lot of agony for two and a half seasons until they beat the Trojans and got to 6-1, and one, and he could scream, two words, two words, bowl eligible. Inside, he was probably thinking two more words. Contract extension. And when it's your job on the line, who can blame you? So when he's talking about Brewer, is, he actually, is it actually going to be different this year? Well, if you're going on contract situation, then yes. The answer is absolutely yes. He doesn't have to worry about being fired. He'll be 62 this season, and I don't think Harlan is going to run him at this point. I think he retires as a Ute, and he goes on into that contract and all the stuff that he has. Mm -hmm. So if you're worried about a contract extension, then that's an issue. But I don't think he's worried about a contract extension. He already has that. His contract will run him through like uh, 66, 67 I don't believe he'll be coaching at that point. But so if you bring up, well, you can't blame him because he was two, five and sevens and he was on the verge of another losing season of three in a row and getting fired. I don't disagree with that, but that is a long time ago now. And that doesn't play to the current situation. He has no fear of losing his job unless he goes completely and totally out of his character which at this point, at 61 you, years of you age, would bet established against. themselves. <laughs> you would bet against that. <laughs> exactly, yes. Yeah. So here's the thing with Brewer. If you go back and look at his stats and, you know, all the yards and all that, at Baylor last year, and I, ha- I didn't watch all the games, so I'd have to go back and watch the film, but 14 touchdowns and eight interceptions in nine games. Can Kyle live with one interception per game? 14 TDs and eight interceptions – doesn't sound that crazy. It's not that great a touchdown-interception ratio. But one interception per game on average, I'm thinking Kyle can live with that. He is very positive about this kid. So, And he's not really a kid now. He's you know in his 20s and all that. But he's very positive about this quarterback. So I'm thinking maybe there's a chance, and I may be the fool. It may be Lucy and pull the football away, and I will end up on my back again. But he... It sounds like he wants to cut Charlie Brewer loose. He may not bring himself to be able to do it when the stadiums are full or half full or whatever they're going to be. I should probably stay away from that cliche. But whatever, when there's fans in the stands and the lights are on, you know, in Game 7, what's he going to do? But he's sounding so positive about him. It sounds like, and, and there's a track record with this guy, it sounds like he can cut him loose. Eight interceptions in nine games, that shouldn't sink you. It gives you a chance to make big plays. It's when you start, you know, the three and four turnovers is when you're, that's when you're toast. 
Well, Baylor didn't have a very good team last year, if I remember. And you said you'd have to go back and look at the games. You didn't watch them all. I didn't watch them any. So I don't know that I watched one second of Baylor football last year. <laughs> so I, I know nothing about him from a firsthand live standpoint of watching him on television. Absolutely zero. Uh, they had changed coaches, obviously. Their mm-hmm. coach went over to Carolina in the NFL. So I think that's part of the reason why he's leaving. And I don't think that Kyle has to turn Charlie Brewer loose. I think he has to turn Andy Ludwig loose because Andy yeah. Ludwig is the one who calls the yep. plays. Yep. That is that is the progression that will work. You're right. That is how that works. Now, so if you go before the coaching change, now you're looking at 21 touchdowns and seven picks in 14 games. He's only throwing a pick every other game, and and they're airing it out. I mean, he threw the ball almost 400 times that year. So yes. It's like, man, if 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 you can't, you know, I don't even know if I wanted to change who he is. You know, I mean, we, the whole recency bias, we know what we've seen the last two, three, four, five years, whatever you want to go. Really, I go back to what we've seen since they went five and seven. But if you go back to the early days as a head coach, they weren't that conservative. They threw the ball with Brian Johnson, but he trusted Brian to throw the ball down the field and make plays and not turn it over. And he's had a line of quarterbacks and backup quarterbacks who eh, he didn't trust at that level, nor, nor should he have. They weren't as good as Brian Johnson, and I don't think they're as good as Charlie Brewer. Yeah, I don't know that it was Brian Johnson. I think it was the fact that their talent in the Mountain West was far superior to the Mountain West talent that they were playing. Mm -hmm. And now their talent isn't necessarily far superior. So they had a defense when Brian Johnson was a senior where half the guys from the Mountain West, no less, more than half the guys went to the NFL. Yep, And so he could do things because he had a phenomenal defense, so it really didn't matter. It's like the Ty Detmer thing. He could throw three or four interceptions, but he's also thrown seven or eight touchdown passes. So what difference did it make? It didn't make a difference because their offense and their offensive schemes were so much better than the competition that the amount of interceptions for Ty Detmer were irrelevant when you have that many touchdown passes. So I think comparing what Brian Johnson did to what is available now isn't really accurate or a fair comparison because he knew that they had a phenomenal defense. So if they gave the ball away, the chances of the other team scoring were pretty slim anyway. So you could be more aggressive. Here in the Pac-12, I don't think their talent right now, this year, because this is the year we're talking about, is far superior to a lot of the teams that they're playing. I don't even know that their defense is going to be the best in the South, let alone the Pac-12. It remains to be seen. So I think that factors into it, too. The idea is to win the game. And so I think Kyle is going to stay with mostly what he does in terms of winning the game, because that's that's the only thing that matters in this. Did, did you win the game? So, yeah, he'll allow Brewer to display his abilities a little bit more. But also, it's depending on time and score, what the situation is. You know, if you've got the ball on the 40-yard line and you're up by four with four minutes to go, are you going to be airing it out? Probably not. (laughs) You know, that's not who he is. So that is interesting. Will they be playing from behind in these games where he's forced to let him air it out? Or will they have a lead? And at which point you're looking at all the running backs and you're looking at the other line and thinking, Turn around and hand it off. We're up by 10 with 10 minutes to go. Turn around and hand it off. Because the issue now is, I think there has been, and I think there will continue to be, although I can't guarantee it because there's still a lot of unproven talent, there has been and will continue to be a talent gap between the Utes and the bottom of the Pac-12. There's some separation where they're just 
a lot better than the bottom third or bottom half of the league, however you want to draw it up. With the buys, it's a little tricky, and you know, you even playing everybody in the bottom half of the top half or whatever. So the, the question is, how are you going to beat the most talented teams in the league? Can you beat the most talented teams in the league conceding that a big part of the game, you're really not going to test them? The Oregon and USC and whoever else is really good, Stanford, Washington, ASU, whoever in any given year. Are they going to go in going, he's not really going to throw the ball down the field. <laughs> like, let's get ready to win the smash-mouth battle. Because it makes you, if not completely one-dimensional, it makes you pretty one-dimensional. And it makes you easier to defend. I mean, Kyle's whole thing is, is he loves the running quarterback because they're harder to defend, and it doesn't make you as one-dimensional. Gives you an extra blocker, and it gives you a chance to, when the play breaks down, still make a good play. So if they yeah. don't make them defend the whole field, can they beat the best teams where we can all agree there isn't a big talent separation? If there is, you're on the, you're on the wrong side of it. You know, all these four and five stars pan out at Oregon. You know, well, then you could be on the wrong side of the talent gap. Well, I, I think you're, you have to factor in the complexion of the game. The New Orleans Saints go to Denver, and Denver's playing a receiver at quarterback. That's an extreme example because of the COVID <laughs> yeah. last year, right? Right. So there was no need to throw the ball. So if they get into a game where it's obvious, you take a, a couple years back when the Sun Devils came, the last time they played, Jaden Daniels was a freshman, right? He was not prepared to play against that defense that had nine guys going to the NFL, right? And so they dominated. So there was no need for Utah to throw the ball around the field that game. So you have to factor in what your defense is doing to the offense. The only way the Sun Devils would have won that game was if they got scores defensively, special teams, or short fields for the offense. Because Utah's defense was going to overwhelm ASU's offense. I mean, I think he had like three completions in that game, something, some ridiculous number, right? And he was just throwing it away. They made a big deal. Oh, he only threw two interceptions as a freshman. Well, whoop the friggin' do. I mean, the whole goal was to not throw an interception. So the second anybody got in five feet with him, he threw it away. So big deal. If you're a defense, fine, throw it away. We'll take second down and 10, third down and 10, and fourth down and 10. And even if we don't have an interception, the kids threw it away constantly. And he had two picks. Great. Well, he had nothing else to go with it. He had two picks and three completions. Now, that's two picks the whole season, I think. They're all excited about that. And that's nice, but if your offense is just you just throw it away anytime it gets near you, you're not going to have a lot of picks. So I have to look at the games. I can't make a blanket statement to say Charlie Brewer is going to do this or that because if they get into a game where their defense is overwhelming someone, what's the point of throwing it? The point is to win the game, not to pile up stats to show somebody you could do this or that. So I think that's where we're at there. So I'd have to see and look at the individual games because if their defense is dominating and the running game is effective. And that's still, I have to see that now, you know, if they would have Ty Jordan, I would have guaranteed that the running back or the running game would be effective. Well, they don't obviously because of the tragedy. So they got these new guys that I haven't seen play. I saw Bernard a little bit, but as you know, second or third team guy, you're not really seeing a whole lot, especially last year when they only played a handful of games. So, you know, there's no body of evidence. Jordan got enough carries to where you knew, wow, he's really good. But nobody else did. So I got to see, can they run the ball? Because if they can't run the ball, well, then you got to throw it more. So there's so many things that factor into it before I can say they're going to do A, B, and C. 
Well, that's all true, and I get it. And right now, you know, I, I want to know more. The scrimmage was closed, so we have to go on Kyle and his tone and what he says and the way he says it versus what we've heard from him in the past. And it sounds different right now, so I'm thinking it may be different in the fall, but, you know, it, it'll be what Kyle wants it to be. <laughs> He's made it clear before. When he wants something one way, I mean, it's his team, it's his uh, – well, it's, it's college. It's not a franchise. You know, it's his organization, and it'll be the way he wants. It's his program. I think it's program the word. would be the word I was escape. It was escaping me. Yes. Yeah. It's his program, and so whatever he's feeling on the sideline in the third quarter, what got said in August or April or whatever, you know, it's what is he feeling in the third quarter? And if he tells Andy, "Hey, we need to play the last twenty minutes like this." They're going to play the last twenty minutes like this. Well, the thing that I feel confident in saying, DJ, is that. Kyle is going to do whatever it takes to win the game. And so the point being, if it takes throwing the ball to win the game, he's going to throw the ball. I think that's the important aspect is that he's going to coach to win the game. And some games, obviously the complexion of one game to another can be radically different. Yeah. I think that you, there's a, a segment, probably not all, but there's a segment of the Ute fans listening to this right now who are thinking, well, it's not what he's done in the Pac-12 title game. Well, okay, but in, in the winnable of the two games, because in one game against Oregon, they really they just they didn't have a chance. Oregon dominated that game and dominated their defense. But did, Washington, yeah. the Washington game, okay, well, he had a backup quarterback, and so you may not want to take the chances. You've seen what you've seen in practice, and we don't get to see that. And he'd seen what he's seen in a handful of games, some of which had gone well, but they hadn't gone up against a team like Washington. And so – you know, he's, he's had to play a lot of backup quarterbacks. I think for both Utah and BYU, and we can get into this later, but I think the, it's going to be really interesting, who the, not just who the starter is, but who the backup is. Because you look over the last decade as the youths have you know, stepped into the Pac-12 and as the Cougars have stepped into independence and, uh, and played some better teams, backup quarterbacks have taken a lot of snaps and gotten a lot of starts for both these teams. So that's going to be a factor. And, you know, Kyle, the way he's talking, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, Kyle take a different tact with Charlie Brewer versus the other quarterbacks. Maybe not. That remains to be seen. Yeah, I get your point. Remains to be seen. You know, but I I think a lot of you fans are like, in the biggest games, they haven't exactly lit it up. Well, okay. They had a great chance to win a game, but they're out there with a backup quarterback who didn't have much experience. Well, you you were talking about that Washington game yeah. uh, three years ago, and and obviously, and, and Zach Moss wasn't there either. So right. they had, they had a, a backup running back, and then he so you had uh, an NFL running back who was not at your disposal. And, and Tyler Huntley, you know, he did play last year in the NFL a little bit there, and it's an unusual situation. But nevertheless, he was pretty good, particularly as a senior. I think he was very good. We all know that. I, I think it's up to the coach. You know, Herm Edwards made that statement, you play to win the game. I think, what, was the Jets coach way back when when he said that? Well, I think as a coach, you coach to win the game. I'll tell you a little story. And it was several years ago when I was covering BYU for the Watchdog. They go down to uh, Albuquerque, and it's just as windy as can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, big time wind storms. Just, just the conditions were just awful. And they won the game with this very, very low scoring. And the guy who was calling the plays called the plays with the situation, knowing that 
New Mexico's offense was not able to put up any level of success against Utah's def- or BYU's defense. So the play caller in that game was very conservative with the point being it's windy as heck and our defense is dominating and we have an inexperienced quarterback. So let's be smart here. Well, and I, I you could probably guess names, but I'm not going to give you names. Uh, a little later, and they win the game, right? After that, it was like a week or two later, the play caller's telling me that the head coach was upset because the play caller didn't throw the ball down the field. And the play caller was frustrated because he was telling me this. He's literally, this is a one-on-one conversation. He's telling me this. I called plays with the intent to win the game. And we won the game. If the circumstances would have been, if it would have been a beautiful evening in San Diego and San Diego had one of those prolific offenses like they did in that 52-52 tie that they had many, many years ago and all that, Mm -hmm. we remember that. I don't even remember the year. I just remember 52-52 and sometime in the 90s, I guess. I know I was at the Daily Breeze sports room, so I can get within a year or two or three because of, uh, I remember watching it on a little television. uh, 91. Okay. I don't remember the year. I don't remember the year, but I know I, I know where I was. Why? Because it was incredible. We're all looking at this game thinking this is just ridiculous. This is indoor football, right? Well, the play caller, who I assume at that point was Norm Chow, right? He knows, man, we got to score because we ain't stopping those other guys at all. <laughs> so he's not calling draw traps and, and uh, you know, the chip blocks off the number A gap or what all that stuff, all that jargon. He's airing it out because that was the, and they, and the tie for them was as good as a win, if I remember the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So they were kind that in those days you didn't have OT. So in that situation, you know, you coach to win the game. And I, I'm confident that this season, Kyle will coach to win the game. And game A, B, C, or game seven and game 10, game four, whatever, all of those, the criteria of the game could be completely different. But I believe he'll do whatever it takes to win that individual game that he's coaching in. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This story to be continued for sure. When we come back, Bob Casper puts a wrap on the Masters. We all get held accountable for our picks, some of which were brilliant and some of which were horrific. And we'll do that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Bob Casper of Real Golf Radio. Is it allowed for a caddy to give his player like a shoulder ride or a piggyback ride from hole to hole? <laughs> they're not linebackers. They're not, not going to give their caddy. <laughs> Bob Casper has probably given thousands of interviews, and today he was asked if a caddy can give his golfer a piggyback ride. You try to give somebody a piggyback through Augusta. Are you kidding me? All the hills up and down? While carrying you, their bag? While carrying their bag. You Are got you, their bag and them. Imagine if it's El Pato. <laughs> oh, eat more beef, Larry. Like, I can't go another step. Either can I, beefs. I'm crying over here. Either can I. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller's Subaru. Time to welcome in Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio, to put a wrap on the Masters and our draft picks. And Bob, no wonder that the people who, you know, call a play-by-play or the analysts on these big broadcasts don't want to make picks sometimes. Because once you do, you want your picks to win. And you don't want the other guys' picks to win because goodness knows I was watching the Masters on Sunday thinking, 
Man, if Xander Shoffley comes back to win this thing, Bob's going to be unbearable Monday. <laughs> well, Xander made a – I'll tell you what, he made a pretty good move there on the back nine, but unfortunately um, hit a ball in the water on the 16th hole and uh, and his hopes were dashed. But I'll tell you what, he made a, he made a great move making some, some nice birdies and, uh, and ended up finishing tied for third. I'm wondering, Bob, now with uh, Matsuyama winning, you know, he's been on the tour for a little bit. I've seen him play down in Phoenix when I've gone down there. And I, can, I I'm, I'm, my question for you is if, if you think that we'll start to see more Japanese come over and more have success. It was like, you know, in baseball, when we first had the Japanese come over to the big leagues, it was somewhat of a novelty. And, and now when they come over and they're heralded, whether it be Ichiro back in the day or Atani for the Angels now, nobody really bats an eyelash because these guys were accomplished in Japan, which means they're probably going to be accomplished in the MLB in the U.S. So I'm wondering if you see this situation going forward as far as Japanese now having lots of not just success, but big-time success here in the U.S. You know, um, PK, it's interesting. Uh, Japan has a tour over over there that is is a big a big professional golf tour um i played in a couple events over there in japan and um it's it's amazing what the country feels about the game of golf and how how they um revere their champions uh hideki matsuyama you know of course was an amateur 10 years ago won the Asian Pacific Amateur and was able to play at Augusta as a 19-year-old and finished tied for 27th and and uh, was was the low amateur. Now, 10 years later here, he is he's the Masters champion. Um, yes, I expect, um, you know, we've had uh, Japanese players off and on, um, the Ozaki brothers um, and some others that have, that have played over here in the United States, but I expect that we will see more Japanese players that come over, just like we've seen more Asian players come on both the men's tour and the ladies tour. So, um, yes, uh, I, I agree with you. Um, and we'll, we'll probably see, uh, you know, a steady diet of them. Um, but, you know, they still have to go through the qualification process, get their tour card um, and that kind of thing. And it, it's, it's a little bit harder route for them when they've got such a great tour over there that they're currently playing on. So can you put, and you're a guy who's been to Augusta so many times, you probably think it's normal now. I don't know. Do you, I don't know if you still get chills uh, when you go there. I think I've never been there. I'm pretty sure it'd blow me away the first time I went there. Do you think that uh, aside from the comfort of, hey, you get to be at home, you don't have to be halfway around the world, the money's good wherever you are, is there a lure to this tour and the major championships over here? You know, maybe like some European players, you don't make the move full-time, but you make sure you play a few events before each of the majors, so you're at least a part-time tour guy. Yeah. Yeah, you know um – Matsuyama has a home in Japan that his his wife and his I, I think his son or the, I, I know he has a child um, they were in Japan his parents that kind of thing they weren't there at the event he also has a home in Florida in Windermere Florida in the Orlando area um, yeah when when guys 
come over traditionally, whether it's Europe, uh, whether it's other parts of the world, they like to be able to play a couple of events on the PGA Tour before leading into a major championship. Um, and a lot of times they're accommodated by that. Uh, uh, depends on the ranking in the world and that kind of thing. But, yes, um, that's, what, that's what we'll see. Um, and as we see that um, and guys start to uh, play well, and uh, earn earn their privileges uh, a lot like Will Zalatoris has done, who finished runner-up, um, as they earn their privileges and and are able to become a member of the PGA Tour, then, of course, we're going to see them a lot more on a consistent basis. So I'm thinking Spieth is back, but McElroy's done. Well, I don't think he's done. Hmm. I think he's the the problem with Ma- with McElroy right now is he's going through a big, huge swing change with a new coach, um, and because of that, you're it's it's going to be difficult for him. I I you know it's a Ryder Cup year. It's going to be tough to see how he plays. You know, maybe by then it will be worked out. But he's going through a lot right now with his swing and his game. Uh, his putter's not great either. Um, it, he's just kind of he's in a quandary, um, and it takes normally takes somebody that goes through a swing change um, on the PGA Tour, whether it's the PGA Tour or anywhere else. It normally takes a year to a year and a half before things start to settle in and they start to uh, feel comfortable again with where their swing is at and where their swing's going. So I expect to see Rory um, kind of flounder a little bit for the remainder of the year. So speaking of floundering, we have our three-round draft. We draft nine guys. Tony Finau is the 10th guy. He tied for top 10. Uh, we all like him. We all know him on some levels. So we, we don't draft him. We put him off the board. But we draft these other nine guys. And you take the defending champ, DJ, in the second round. He misses the cut. PK takes Roy in the second round. He misses the cut. And I take Patrick Cantley in the third round. He misses the cut. Now, seven <laughs> of the top 20 golfers in the world miss the cut. Yeah. Should we focus on that, or should we focus on the fact that we all had a big old swing and a miss? Well, I think we all had a big old swing and a miss, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> um, you know, week to week, guys struggle. Um, and, you know, you'll see guys on the PGA Tour that will miss a cut one week and then come back and play extremely well and win a golf tournament. We saw that with Brooks Kepka earlier in the year. He missed three cuts in a row. And then he goes and he wins in, in Phoenix. So um, things like that happen. Uh, it's an individual sport. You don't have anybody backing you up. Uh, you know, you're, you're left to your own devices on how you play. And, you know, in some weeks you're just not there. And um, that's, that's what we saw. I, I totally expected Cantlay to play good, DJ to play well, um, and Rory to, to not miss the cut. And they all three did. Uh, it's just, just an unfortunate thing, but I don't think you can read anything into that consistently consistently, as far as they're concerned. So outside of the obvious in the winner and, and maybe Spieth and a couple others who were in contention, did anybody impress you? Oh, yeah. Will Zalatoris, um, who finished second at nine under par, he really impressed me. He was only one shot back. Um, here's a kid that... Uh, that became uh, the leading points earner on the Corn Ferry Tour, um, who has who really didn't have a place to play um, two years ago, but got onto the Corn Ferry Tour and was leading that, turned sponsors exemptions, 
and getting into the U.S. Open uh, this last year and, and parlayed those into um, being able to have temporary membership on the PGA Tour and, and going from number 1,600 in the world, if not higher, to number 43 in the world and getting in the Masters and here in his first uh, event finishes runner-up. Uh, totally impressed with him, especially yesterday in his play, how he, how he worked himself around the golf course, um, how he, he didn't seem like he was affected by the situation, that he enjoyed it, that he was having fun. And uh, I think he's a kid that you're really going to have to look at over the next little bit because I think he's going to be a champion uh, quite quickly. So the uh, Masters, does it inform you in any way of who you, or maybe PKRI should pick, coming up for the PGA Championship? Does the Masters play into that or different course, different world, it's a little more than a month away, and we can't really draw one thing to another. Well, it's being played uh, at on the ocean course at Kiowa Island, which is a little bit type of a different world than you would you would say with the Masters. It's more of a kind of a link-style look, um, uh, quasi-link-style look, you know, with a, with a U.S. feel to it. Um, Traditionally, the PGA Championship kind of plays somewhere in between a Masters as far as difficulty and a U.S. Open as far as difficulty. Um, it's, a, it's a golf course where they, where they normally set it up, and what, what they set it up to is what you get. And, and the guys, you know, if, if the weather's right and everything, guys will go out and shoot great scores. Um, so I, kinda, I really kind of like the PGA Championship as well in the way that they set up a golf course not too extreme to uh, for, for the players. But, you know, I w- yeah, I would say, um, you know, Rory won there the last time they played it. Um, I, I would say that, that you're going to see a lot, of, a lot of new blood in the mix. You're going to see uh, top 10 players in the mix, um, top 20 players in the mix, it, all of the above. It's, it's going to be a great test. It's only a month away, and then we get the really hard test in June at uh, Torrey Pines down in San Diego. Well, Bob, we will talk to you again before the PGA and the U.S. Open. We love having you on during the uh, the major championships, and we'll talk to you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio, every Saturday morning, 6 to 9, he and Brian Taylor right here on the Zone Sports Network. Our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, is coming up in about 20 minutes. Sniggy? Yes. Do we do we have time or we gotta go to break? Oh, we have a we have a minute or two. You got something? Yes. Because you just admitted something that I've always believed about you. And you've always denied it. What is that? But you just can't you I've always claimed that you didn't want the other guys' teams to win because you didn't want them to gloat. And that year that ASU won 10 games, you kept telling me, oh, I predicted it. So as if then I couldn't gloat. You just told us that you were rooting against Shafley so Bob Casper in a 10-minute radio interview couldn't gloat. Oh, yeah, I was a little worried about that. That's different than your Sun Devils, though. (laughs) No, it's not. It absolutely is. (laughs) Why would you care if Xander Shafley won a golf tournament or not? At no point would I even think to worry about, well, Bob Casper is going to gloat. So what? Let him gloat. This is sports. It doesn't matter.
I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And I knew it. I don't care if you gloat about Arizona State. I don't have a dog in the hunt in the Pac-12. My team's in the Mountain West. I care if Scotty gloats about the Aggies. I care about Boise State. You have a dog in the hunt in the Masters because of some stupid picks that we do? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Pulling for Jordan Spieth. Come on, Jordan. Make that putt. Right. That's your dog. So you root for him Mm because you picked him. Mm -hmm. Great. But you're worried about somebody else gloating? Oh, my goodness. You I was the last of the three. I was the last <laughs> of the three of us to pick a, uh, a winner, and I was having to listen to you. Bob has one. I have see? One. But DJ yeah, doesn't see? have one. I know, but it never pans out with Arizona State. My team's never going to win the Pac-12. They're not in the Pac-12. I got two schools I pull for. One doesn't play football, but and one's in the Mountain it's, West. It's about the other guy gloating. That's the issue. You don't want the other guy to gloat. Gloat away. If if Xander Shoffley would have won, I would have been just as happy. In fact, I probably would have been happier. He was an American. I tend to root for the Americans. I don't care what he He could be, an Oshkosh uh, Badger. It doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Oshkosh Badger. He just made him up. It's like Minnesota State. What are you, coach? Come on, Dauber, knock it off. Oh, it was. Uh, I, I went with Wisconsin, but I didn't know Oshkosh's nickname, so I combined the two. Nice. <laughs> so you're worried about people gloating. I always believe that with you, and that, and you just admitted it. Oh. DJ PK, it's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone. Donovan Mitchell is on a tear. Is this going to lead to first team All NBA? More importantly, what is it going to mean for the Jazz and the playoffs? We'll get to that next. And Steve Cleveland will hit on it in about twenty minutes, right here on ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone. The Big Show Big Show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Jazz General Manager Justin Zanuck. As the trade deadline approached, was there anything going on with the Jazz, or did you sit back like Fonz looking at himself in the mirror? I like what I see. Gordon, did you just call me the Fonz? <laughs> He's like 80 now, right? I'll go back and watch it. Um, given the results two-thirds into the season of being very good, also given a large part of our assets are wrapped up in the highest-performing players on our team, and anybody that would be available would maybe require disruption of that core group when that continuity is valuable going into the playoffs. And Coach has done a good job of developing our depth that we feel really good about the group that we have. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Really? No balls in one stride. The big right-hander ready and delivers. Swing and a ground ball to shortstop. Kim has it. Friendly hop. Throw to first. That is a no-hitter, and that is history. Joe Musgrove with the first no-hitter in Padre history. April 9, 2021 at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. The kid comes home, and he gets it done. The Padres' first no-hitter is the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today at 450 on the big show, and you can win fabulous prizes. I walked the halls of Grossmont High School, PK. I don't really have halls. I walked the blacktop asphalt of Grossmont High School. What does that mean? Uh, it means our school didn't have a gym, and we had to go there for basketball practice and home games on their campus. No, Why are you telling me this, though? Local note. Footnote! Why? Because I'm jealous of you and Thunderbird High School and all the great athletes who come out of there. And we got there's no, 
nothing. So did this kid go to your school? Is that what you're saying? I'm, I'm missing no, he went here. to a rival school. He went to another school in our league. Be a Jordan Brighton kind of deal. So are you upset if he's now gloating? No, I'm good. I'm good with him gloating. <laughs> they, had him on, they had him on TV. I watched it. It's on multiple interviews. It was great. All right, so most Jazz fans, however, do not spend Saturday thinking about Friday's no-hitter, although you can win fabulous prizes at 450 on the big show by knowing about that. They sat there and they watched Donovan Mitchell go for 42 points. Donovan Mitchell averaging 40 points a game over the last three games. He's averaging 30 points a game over the six games this month. 26 points a game this year is career high. You feeling a new level, PK? You feeling something different that might translate to something in the postseason? Can't guarantee it, but it seems like there's a better chance. Yeah, there's a lot of questions that you just asked right there. Pick off anyone. Right now, yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, I think that, yes, to start uh, the first one that came to mind, uh, another level with Donovan Mitchell, absolutely, yes. Those Dwayne Wade comparisons that were made early on, they're 100% accurate right now. He's on a track that I can see him having the same types of success. I think Dwayne Wade upped his level. I, I, I looked this up a while ago. I don't have it in front of me now, but I think he got to 29 at one point. And obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. He won NBA titles. He's a great player. Everybody knows all that stuff. And I think Mitchell is in that category. And he's as far as Dwayne Wade, and we all hold Dwayne Wade, and uh, at least I think we do, into pretty high esteem. You know, not the greatest of all time, but very, very high esteem. And I think that whatever that gap was between Dwayne Wade and Donovan Mitchell, I think Donovan has closed that gap significantly this year by his play. His play has been outstanding. It's been remarkable. And he can do so many things. I love when he gets, and we've seen this a time or two, when he misses a shot in there among the Giants, and somehow he gets the rebound and puts it back in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and he did that Saturday. Yeah. Yes, he did. We all remember that specifically. And I think that right there, that play, that ability to do that, that's just raw athleticism. And he has that. All sorts of athleticism. And it compensates for the lack of height. And I'm not watching – Everybody all the time, but I am watching Mitchell all the time. So I'm sure other guys have done that. But to see him do that, and he's close to the rim, so you got all the real tall guys there. He just has the ability to do that. It's so impressive. And I know he's not hitting the three right now, and that's great. Yes, because great totally. Winning ball games, and he's finding other ways to win. You know, and so it, it it's real easy when shots are falling and you get in that realm, what did, what did Rodney hood, did he score like 25, 30 points in one quarter once? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's not the kind of player Rodney hood is obviously, but he was at that time. The point being that when Rodney hood had it going on that night, whenever that was, whatever year that was against whoever it was, he was on another level. All right. Rodney hood has that ability to be on another level. Occasionally. I don't think he's come close to uh doing that just like uh, Cantor had 30 boards the other night. That's not who he is consistently, but he's got that ability occasionally to do that. Well, Mitchell, 
he has that ability to do it more than occasionally. That's who he is. And we're seeing it. And in the playoffs, you know, it boils down to did you win? Because if you shoot uh, two of 20 and your team won, nobody cares, right? It's all about winning. You're trying to win whatever series you're in. You're trying to get to four before the other guy. That's the essence of a playoff series. That's really all that matters. And so can he do this individually? I believe he can, but they still have to prove it because this year too, which is what's going to be so intriguing, when they go into the postseason, that at that point, it's put up or shut up. And all the naysayers as far as the Jazz, which there are many, Many. Now, I put myself in the in I'll believe it type of thing, but I believe they could do it. I have to see it. But there's plenty of naysayers are saying, no, they will not and cannot do that. I'm not in that category. I'm in more of the category. All right, let's see what you can do. I think you can do it. I believe you can do it but you got to go do it. So I'm over here. And I think that's where you are too, that you think that, yeah, I think they can do it, but I got to see them do it as opposed to, nope, forget it. They can't do it. They're not going to do it. I feel really differently, not just about the jazz, but about the whole NBA this year. It's really a weird year. There's normally two or three teams. There's usually one team that I think you're going to do it. There's a couple teams I'm thinking you could do it, and I said dismiss 27 other teams. And so this year, I think, and there's 10 teams that record-wise have kind of broken away in the league, and I think there's about six of them I think have a chance to do it. But once you say six have a chance, by the time everybody has a chance, there is no one, and this includes the Lakers, and I feel differently about the Lakers than I did two months ago because the health problems have just become such a, a, a long-running deal. I just don't know that they're going to be healthy. They were the team I thought, like, you're the horse on the inside track in the Derby, and everybody else has got to run you down. And who's close enough that they have a chance to run you down, right? Right now, I feel like they're coming around the rail. It's the weirdest Derby I've ever seen. It's like six horses side by side. And who's going to run to the finish? And it could be the Jazz, but I, I feel like i got no idea. I mean, it could be the Clippers. I, I can give you a bunch of reasons why it won't be, but it could be. And the same with it, it could be the Suns. I have dismissed them, and every time they take another step and get 10 games deeper into the season, a couple notches higher in the standings, and now they, they shouldn't do it. There's nothing in NBA history that says the Suns should pull this off. I don't know who the comp is for them as an NBA champion, but they got the second best record in the league. How can I dismiss them? I got to give them a shot. Agreed. Yeah, at least. Uh, at least. To, to what degree uh, remains to be seen. Exactly. But and, that, and it's to what degree on the Suns, on the Jazz, on the Nuggets. You know, the, the midseason trade to get you to a championship, it's rare, but it's happened. Uh, but there are some comps there in NBA history you can look at. Uh, you know, Rasheed Wallace, did he put the Pistons over the top? Um, the Clyde Drexler to Houston a long time ago was different because they'd already won a title, but they were struggling that year and they needed a boost. And he gave them a bunch of, he had 40 point games against the Jazz in the playoffs. And I don't think they would have won if, if he and Elijah won, hadn't both gone for 40. 
to beat the Jazz and knock them out. So there are these guys, you know, the Nuggets story has been done before. It's not out of the realm. I think the Lakers and Nets are the two teams I'd pick based on their star power and their championship experience and pedigree. But those two teams have had so many injuries. And if we've seen anything in the NBA just in the last five years, it's whatever you think you know 20 games before the playoffs start, it's going to get scrambled by injuries. And, you know, it crushed the Warriors one year. It crushed the Cavaliers one year. Uh, there have other teams that have been hurt along. I think it dinged the Warriors a second time. Crushed them once and left them with no shot. And another time I thought it, it hurt them. Uh, so I just, you know, I, I can't guarantee you the Nets and Lakers are going to be healthy enough to pull this off. I think if they were, they'd, they'd be the heavy favorites in both their conferences. But you've got to give Philly a shot. One of the things that made me a little nervous from the Laker perspective, you talk about how they beat the Nets on Saturday. The thing mm-hmm. that jumped out at me is Drummond had 20 and 11. <laughs> right. Uh, the buyouts are killing people. You know, the other thing that we haven't really talked about, but it goes to the Jazz taking every team's best shot. Have you seen some of Simmons' stats lines lately? Since he had that, what do he go for, 37 or 41? It was an enormous game against the Jazz. And Embiid has been in and out for different reasons. And, like, Simmons is having, like, seven-point games. But, man, did he get up for the Jazz. And whether it's battling for Rudy for Defensive Player of the Year or still irritated over uh, Donovan and the Rookie of the Year, he gets up for the Jazz, and the Jazz get his best shot. Because he's not coming anywhere near it in a bunch of games since then. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, Steve Cleveland, our Basketball Insider. Stay with us.